You're listening to the Shop Notes Podcast. On today's episode, we talk about tool choices and techniques, as well as giving an update on the projects that we're working on, both at work and in our own shops. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years, from tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects. You can find it all in Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. I'm your host, Phil Huber, and today I'm joined by editor Logan Whitmer and designer Dylan Baker. Not to be confused. Wow. With each, each other. other. <laughs> <laughs> That's a so thanks why for listening. That, why is that a thing? I don't know, but I think because it is a thing, we're gonna have to start doing more things on camera yes, so people true. can like, yeah. discern We did just between. do a couple designers' notebooks, didn't we? Right, which yeah. was jarring enough that we actually were both seen in the same place. At yeah, the same we're muddying time. the waters here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for those of you who can't see this, that you're not watching it on YouTube, for whatever reason, and I think it's largely due to two main reasons. You guys were both hired at about the same time. Mm-hmm. And you are both millennials. <laughs> we're young. We have that a lot of uh, the more elderly among us have conflated you two and have called you either Dylan or Logan wrongly. Uh, yeah, and it's not like one instance that it's happened. No. Really, it, it transcends all levels in our organization. Right, yeah. So it's not just the woodworking group, but it's people in other departments. I've had Cirque people refer, talking to me about one of you, and it really meant the other person. I, I don't get it. I think no. at this point, it's just easier for people to not care and put much attention no. to it. It's just go. easier for people to confuse us. Yep, that's right. Oh, we, we're done correcting people. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's Chris on the TV show that I've been on with him for two years. <laughs> yeah. Chris Fitch, I'm looking at you. <laughs> As long as all of our tasks are getting accomplished at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I'm right. not offended. That's right. Yeah. We're all on the same team. <laughs> so the main topic that I want to talk about today, and I think this works really well with the three of us, is choosing the tool that you're going to use for a given project or technique or operation. Because okay. we've all been doing woodworking long enough to have several options at our disposal for a given task. Absolutely. So maybe, I don't know if you guys want to break it down. You know, if you're doing something for the magazine, you're going to do it X way. If you're going to do something for your home or for a personal project or you're in your own shop, how do you make that choice? And I think the original question I think came from you Mm -hmm. about specifically related to say doing something with power tools versus hand tools, which is fair game. But I think there's also Oh, which power tool or which hand tool do you choose for something? So since this was your question. Logan. Sure. So I think it's, it's it's a multifaceted question because if I'm choosing something for the magazine, what's well, been around for a long time? Right. We've shown stuff the same way for a very, very long time. On the f- flip side, sometimes we're challenged to show stuff different ways. Right. So... Sometimes we'll show something in the magazine a way we didn't necessarily do it, but because it's different. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I'm going to set that one aside for now. Okay. Uh, because magazine, we show sometimes, we show other ways to do it, whether it's easier or not. Mm. Personally, when I'm in the shop, 
it depends on if I'm working for something for myself or for somebody else or what I'm working on. Okay. Because sometimes there is the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is, I want to say there's the best way. Cause there's, I mean, there's a thousand different ways to skin a cat with a chisel. Right. <laughs> um, I said it, that was from John Doyle last week. Uh, but no, there's, I mean, there's thousands of ways to get to the same result and there's no right or wrong as long as you get there. Right. Right. I think there's more efficient ways. So in my mind, I'm thinking right now of building my beehives. Okay. Okay. Um, the first couple sets I did, I finger jointed. The best way to do that in my mind is probably with a finger joint jig at the table saw. Okay. I can cut each notch in one pass. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the most efficient way ended up me clamping 18 sides together and cutting 18 notches at once. Yeah. I remember that. Wow. Yeah. But I wanted to get it done. So that was the best way at that point. Sure. However, it definitely was not the most accurate, but the bees don't care. Right. Those are right? voids that get filled in. Exactly. Exactly. So they don't care. So personally in the shop, if I'm building a furniture project, I'm going to choose the process that gives me the best looking results without an extravagant amount of work. Okay. Okay. Um, the hand tools versus power tool thing came up and I don't remember what I was looking at. I was looking at something and somebody said, Oh, I do this by hand because it's faster. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. What was it? It was something that was faster to do by hand Mm -hmm. And it didn't really matter what it looked like because it was like an interior of a joint or something. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, I wish I could remember what it was. I probably wrote it down. It's like mortises that aren't through mortises. Exactly. There's no, really no reason for them to be, you know. Yeah, they don't have to be beautiful. Right. They um, just need to be snug. I think it, it may have been um, last issue of the magazine we were proofing. We showed uh, the, kind of the woodsmith way to make a mortise was to no, drill it out, drill chisel it. it. Chisel it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But why why chisel it? Why not just grab a rasp and quickly it's, it's faster in my mind to grab a coarse rasp and round over the, the tenon. Oh, if you're doing round corners. tenons. Yeah. Oh, floating yeah. tenons. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, not even a floating tenon. It can be a, it can be a, a standard traditional tenon. Sure. And you just round over the corners of the rasp really quickly. I mean, that's right. way faster than chiseling everything square. Sure. Um, it doesn't look as good. Right. But again, it's glued Functionally, together. It's, yeah. It's comparable. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I for show stuff, I'll choose whatever the best approach is to give me the best looking result. For structural stuff, I'm gonna probably take the most efficient path to get there and not compromise the joint. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, and now I'm gonna sit here and think about what <laughs> <Right>. the actual <laughs> example was because yeah. I don't Maybe remember. A couple of other examples specifically how yeah. you would put that into into play. Yeah. So Dylan, any thoughts? Cause I mean, you've built stuff professionally mm-hmm. as a designer builder prior to coming here and now you're building stuff for the magazine, but then you're also making like your own projects right. for yourself. For personal use. Yeah. How do you make those tool choices? Again, I, you know, kind of feeding off of what Logan said, you know, I, I, like every project, there's just such a, it, it's all contingency based, but I, 
I always look for the most efficient and repeatable way. Um, for whatever reason, I just have this mentality, kind of this inborn mentality of just thinking about building multiples of everything, even though I know that I may only be building one of them realistically. Sure. So, you know, I, I don't know how much of this I should be admitting, but, you know, oftentimes, <laughs> you know, we have uh, joinery that is, uh, you know, Morrison tenon, or, you know, sometimes we'll do floating tenons too, that um, we may have shown them as square where I inevitably will do rounded ones just because I find using a you know, guide bushing in a, you know, whether it's a three eighths or half inch uh, router bit to create a rounded oh, yeah, uh, yeah. M- mortise. Um, and then a lot of times with my uh, rounded tenons, I'll use, um, I'll still use a router table to kind of get my four sides that are rounded. And then I end up pairing them back to the shoulder with a chisel because I already have the profile pre-existing. Um, but and I and I de- I default to power tools a lot more too, and it's it's not because I have an aversion to to hand tools. I just I, I find uh, just the efficiency of things a lot more um, uh, not accomplishing. But uh, I again I, I'm I'm just looking in terms of uh, again just efficiency in the project, and I think a lot of that's where a lot of the success and joy comes for me. So if I think I can do it with a power tool and a jig, even though it may take me a slightly longer to build a jig to perform the function versus just doing it with hand tools, I may still go that route. So, um, but with that being said, there's certainly, there's certainly things in woodworking that I think that hand tools are absolutely the, really the, really the only option. And this last project I've been working on has kind of proved that with this, uh, Nicholson style workbench, you know, there's, there's a three three big boards, uh, eight quarter boards that are on the top. That you know, the only way to really surface that's um, well, surface to surface, um, is to go back with uh, you know I was using a smoothing plane and a joiner plane to get a smooth top. I mean, there's just with the boards that big, unless you've got a 20 inch or 15 inch floor standing um, uh, planer in your shop, which a lot of people don't have the luxury of right. having. Um, hand tools is really what you end up using. So. Yeah. Um, and I almost appreciate that aspect uh, of uh, building projects too, is because I think you, you start off with this plan in your mind and it's like, it's not really an adventure until everything goes completely wrong. And so there's things that you can plan for and there's things that you can't, but um, I think a major part of woodworking is just uh, being able to solve those problems along the way. So, sure. but uh, kind of back to the initial question. Um, I think oftentimes I'm, I'm thinking about using especially with joinery i'm I'm using a a router for most of it and power tool so um well because i've noticed uh in watching you build that bench like even at the end well end ish where you had your stretchers and aprons all in place and then you went back over it just to flush up all the joints yeah going at it with a hand plane yeah and i think a lot of that too probably just derives from you know my maybe lack of proficiency with hand tools i don't really trust my hand enough to create those areas, whether it's like a breadboard end or, um, there's a couple lap dovetail joints on this current project where, um, those edges where they meet, um, being as, uh, accurate as possible is just so crucial that I just, I trust myself with a, a lot of times I'll just use a Baltic birch, you know, scrap piece as my edge and just use a guide, guide bearing on a pattern bit. And, um, you know, that seems to work just as well. But again, like you said, um, hogging out a lot of waste i'm using i was using a circular saw i was hand cutting some of the shoulders Mm -hmm. and then going going back with a um, with a template and a a pattern bit to clean it up so it's just kind of 
working through the problems, you know, again, hand tools get me to a certain point and then power tools might finish it or power tools might start it and hand tools might finish it. It's just, again, very contingent on the project. Yeah. Now, when you're designing projects, either for the magazine or for customers, do you find um, that you're using, that you have a particular technique or tool in as you design around it? Not around it necessarily and compromising to the design, but... Like maybe like a tool that would drive the project. Yeah. Um, or you're going to add this element because you know you can do it with X tool or X technique or something like that. Uh, to that point, yeah, certainly. I think there's times where I'm you know, designing the overall aesthetic of a project and then going back and doing dimensioning stuff. And then some of those aesthetic choices may be driven by, um, again, what either what's available to me or what the, I feel like I have the capacity to accomplish. And, yeah. Um, you know, offer a product that is, you know, uh, of a, of a higher quality. And again, especially with joinery that's exposed like that. Again, you, I, um, those are details that again, I think really can make or break a project sometimes. Sometimes they're not, I don't want to say they're superfluous cause they're not, but they may not always have, they may not always be adding like a structural element and they may just be aesthetic. I mean, we could argue all day whether that's an appropriate use of, uh, uh, design or not, but, um, yeah, I, uh, a lot of times I think it does, it can be reduced back or you go back over the project and it's like, okay, well, I have all these, this joinery here. Well, is it adequate? Is it the right size? Um, you know, is it going to be, again, the appropriate amount or, you know, does something else need to yeah. change? So. Okay. That's fair. Now I know that in my own, it's weird because I build projects here mm -hmm. over lunch hours and things like that. Uh, and then I build stuff at home and I definitely use different techniques. And I think you kind of alluded to it is that there's a certain confidence, mm -hmm. you know, like if you have built up, uh, skill levels with certain tools, you're going to kind of lean towards those more often because you know, with a higher level of confidence, you're going to get the results that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, and then I know that, you know, when I'm here on my lunch hours, I kind of want to get stuff done. So I'm going to use a lot of times the efficient route, mm -hmm. which usually means leaning more towards speed rather than, you know, if you think of like three areas, like speed, maybe enjoyment and quality mm -hmm. that I'll probably lean towards speed, especially if it's going to be, you know, dados or something like that, where you're right. never going to see the bottom of it or right. you know, throw is going to be hidden. But in my own shop, I just don't have a lot of space. So I've deliberately made tool choices to exclude certain tools from my shop so that I can walk around in my shop, mm -hmm. you know? So I'll take probably more of a hand tool route on some things just because a uh, number seven jointer plane doesn't take up as much space as a jointer. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's kind of where it, if that, and then plus um, I know that I can get the project done and I've, found myself getting faster at building projects. So I've tried to increase my enjoyment level of it. And for me, that enjoyment comes from doing a lot of work by hand, you know, with some kind of a hand tool or power tool that requires a little bit more adeptness of use or something like that. Right. I, and I've always heard the argument with people too, that have, you know, that, um, I guess have a, a reverence for hand tools. I think there's probably a little bit more sense of inherent accomplishment with stuff when you've kind of honed 
that sort of uh, um, ability to use them really. Again, it's right. a, it's a, it's a proficiency, but I, I will say to kind of what you were talking about in terms of um, you know making choices based on availability. I just think it really uh, paves a way for or is a formula for something that you know you you don't really know the outcome a lot of the times with yeah. with stuff and um i don't know i guess that that's that's just an aspect of woodworking i just find really interesting the, the unknowns parts of it again mm-hmm. there's all this planning and you know whether it's you have a, a full shop with all the bells and whistles or you have a minimal shop i mean there's capacity to do just as much work it's all kind of dependent on the person right there, so yeah and at some point, I think a project ends up becoming more of like a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts off as a formal classic piece of music, mm-hmm. but then at some point turns to jazz where right. it's improvisation and you're responding either back to what the project is giving you or the wood that you have available to you mm-hmm. or accommodating a failure or a mess up or something like that or controlled chaos. Yeah, controlled chaos. Well, you know, and it's something I've said in the past <clears throat> that, you know, people ask, why do I use hand tools? Um, like I love hand tools, right? I love them. And if I was retired and I had nothing else to do, I would build stuff with hand tools because I use hand tools for me, for my soul. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that's, that's how I fill up my bucket is I, I like to, I get enjoyment from it. But in my, in the shop and in our shop, I have other stuff I have to do. So there's a fine balance between efficiency and enjoyment. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, more what it boils down to for me is, is I know that I can cut those tenons on the bandsaw or the table saw way faster than by hand, but I'm going to leave them a little big mm-hmm. and I will fine tune it by hand. Right. Sure. Because that is, I feel like I can get a better joint by doing that. Yeah. You know, I think maybe it was a couple of episodes or a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, a couple of weeks ago, we were filming an episode for uh, the Woodsman Shop TV show and we were building some candle holders and I grabbed a um, grabbed a bench plane and cut some bevels mm-hmm. on the top of the work pieces um, and it's like I could have done that at table saw but it would have taken me more time I mean honestly I cut all four bevels for the top of this candle holder in three minutes mm-hmm. you know rather than going and finding a miter gauge and putting a fence on it to make sure I didn't get tear out on the backside and then swapping the blade to a crosscut blade sure. and then getting the right angle that would take one more time than just grabbing a hand plane and doing it. Mm, um, right. And the results were just as good, you know, marked two lines on each work piece and cut the bevels down to both lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's where that came from. I don't remember. I'm going to say that's where it came from. <laughs> You're working towards the answer that you want. Exactly. To give. There you go. So, so yeah, I think, I mean, it's always a balance. Yeah. Hand tools yeah. versus power tools, confidence level, uh, fine tuning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess to piggyback on that, do you guys feel like you have more control with hand tools or less control with hand tools versus machinery? Depends on how well t- tuned the <laughs> machinery is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know that I... Or is it just a different level of control? I think it's a different level of control. And I think to me, it ends up being more about, like I said before, I think it's, for me, it's more about confidence. Mm -hmm. If I know that I can do something at the router table compared to doing it by hand, I'll go to the router table. Sure. Even though, you know, I made 
be able to use a hand plane and dial it down into the fine thousandths of an inch or something mm -hmm. like that. But if I know that I can get there with the router table confidently, I'll do it that way. You know, like, you know, for one example is one of the goals that I set for myself this year was being able to do, um, jointing by hand much better. Mm -hmm. So using a number seven, I mean, I've used my number seven a lot for, uh, face jointing mm -hmm. or cleaning up panels or something like that. Yeah. And that's relatively easy to do even to the point where you're like, you're just getting it roughly flat and then I can send it through the planer. Right. You know, or roughly flat and I can take care of it with a smoothing plane, but an edge joint, you know, if I'm gluing up a panel, I just have a hard time right now being able to get a reliably flat square joint across both of those pieces yeah. without having to make 85,000 passes or <laughs> like it's, it's a tight joint most of the way. And then I get, you know, snipe for lack of a better word sure. at the very end. And it's like, no matter what I do, can't get rid of it. I can't get rid of it. You know, I'll take the passes out of the middle, essentially creating like a spring joint kind of on it. Yep. And then it still just doesn't close up for whatever reason. And I'm having a hard time figuring out, is that technique? Is it my tool? Is it, where is it? And then I get frustrated and then I just walk over to the carbide tip jointer and and all yep. of a sudden it works, you know? Right. So that's funny because that was the exact, exactly the example I was going to give. If you're in your <laughs> shop at home, you have a rear router table with your fence on it and a straight bit mm -hmm. or your joiner plane. Which one do you grab to create a jointed edge? See, right now it's going to be my joiner plane just because I want to master that technique. Okay. I'm going to stick with it now to, to do it. Okay. You said a joiner plane versus a, a straight Ra bit on a router table. Yeah. Using yeah. it as a jointer. Yeah. Put I don't like think a I, shim on the outside. I don't, I don't think I've ever, I know, I don't think I've ever done it. Oh, we did we did a video on it. Uh, I think I did. Did I do a video on it? Boy, these Don't videos remember. started blurred together. I mm -hmm. think I did. Um, maybe Bob did. I don't remember. Yeah. We did a video on it. Um, yeah, it's it's a cool technique. I mean, it's a technique that yeah you can do it, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things. For me, it's faster to grab my joiner plane yeah, than I think set I up probably, the outfeed. Yeah, I'd feel more comfortable probably using a joiner plane. Yeah, but honestly. like a couple of years ago, I would have said my router table. Mm -hmm. Sure. Just because I've done it, I had done it enough. Like I said, that I had that confidence to know yeah. that I would get the result that I was looking for. Yeah. You know, another one is, uh, like smooth planing a surface. I always up again, up until just a few years ago, did not feel that I had competence in my ability to sharpen or set up a smoothing plane or read grain direction well enough to get a smoothed surface. Mm -hmm. So I would use the smoothing plane to kind of get close mm -hmm. and then would end up using a hand sander to get that final surface. Sure. Whereas now I've become more aware of what I can do with a surface that I can get. I can do just about all of it with a hand plane or a card scraper mm -hmm. and then would maybe just go over it with hand sanding just to get a uniform surface. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And allow it to take finish maybe a little bit better too. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of, uh, made me realize too, or think about, um, hand tools versus machinery. A lot of times if you're relying on just, uh, whether it's a lunchbox planer or a floor standing, you know, uh, 15 inch, 20 inch planer, 
um, a lot of times, if that's going to be your final finish other than sandpaper, I mean, you pretty much have to go ahead and account for about six inches of snipe total on either end. So just depending on your planer. So if you are using a, a hand yeah. plane versus yeah. a, um, a power planer, um, you might be inclined to waste less material too. Because I know a lot of times yeah. when I was doing projects for people that um, if I was doing big panel glue ups, I'd pretty much have to you know, oversize it by probably at least six inches or more on what mm -hmm. I had available to me. So, right. You know, there's a, there's a guy, um, Dylan, I know who you, you know, who he is, uh, Ishitani furniture oh, on sure. YouTube. He has a power surfacer. Yeah. I've noticed that. And I want one of those. <laughs> I don't know what the heck they are or how the heck they work. I mean, it's basically like a power hand planer. Yeah. You put a piece through and it sends off like a wispy gossamer shaving. Yeah. It just zips through. I want one. I'd like to know what brand of tools all his are. They're just like they're they're weird. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like I don't know if they're like European or if they're only like you know Japanese or if they're Chinese. A lot of them are Japanese. Are I think that are oh, they're yeah. super cool though. Because he cuts his uh, um, he's got a I don't know if it's a conversion on his table saw or if it's a completely different uh, saw, but it's a it's either an, 10 or 12 inch blade that he uses to cut the uh, tenons. Yeah, yeah, for his wedge tenons. It's weird looking and too. He just slides it in. It's just yeah. a, a, again, a rotating blade that it just looks like it's hanging out in space with a <laughs> table and a fence on it. And he just slides it in. It's like, whoa. Yeah, it looks like he put a blade on a bench grinder almost. Yeah. You know, it really does. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. weird, but it's super cool. And he's a, he's a good one that blends some hand tool with some power tools. Though. Yeah, definitely. Really, really seamlessly, which is really cool. It's very cathartic to watch him work. He does well, just yeah. like 12, 15 minute videos and you're like, wow, I could do that. No, I can't. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> no, his furniture truly is quiet. He's got his yeah. dog in the background, yeah. which just doesn't seem practical. Shiro? Certainly not with my animals. Yeah. yeah. My beasts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So projects. Projects. Um, materials ordered for a poker table. Okay. Like hundreds of pounds of maple we'll see to turn into slightly smaller pieces of maple all glued together all glued together amazingly liberty hardwood could not get six by six hard maple oh yeah <laughs> who would have thought hmm. <laughs> so there's gonna be raw from the tree exactly yeah can i just get a quarter of a maple tree please like just cut it right down the pith there you go there you go wonder if you could get blanks from like one of the leg manufacturers Probably you know, like table legs yeah. that Matthew Burke place or Osborne or mm -hmm. yeah. What's the other one? So I got I've got table some, legs and Osborne are the two main ones that yeah. I've ordered stuff. I've from. gotten stuff from uh, Carolina Leg Company. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, those farm that farmhouse table I did. Right, those had some big honking like six by six legs. I wonder if they could would sell you the blank like what that would cost. Maybe I need one that's seventy two inches though. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. want to ship it from Carolina. Right, <laughs> that, that's a road problem. trip. Yeah, Dylan, what do you got? Uh, for projects right now, um, personal or shop yes. or yes. whatever. Um, well, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, finish my office furniture. Mm -hmm. Um, the joinery on that is all pocket screws. Yes. <laughs> Which, no shame. Um, you know, when you're planning on painting something, that's a very acceptable form of joinery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, right now, thinking about uh, paint color, I've got a couple picked out. Um, went ahead and painted my office. And then after I painted my office, I decided it would be a really good idea to start taking 
all of the paint that's ever accumulated on the trim work in my house over the last hundred and five years off. So maybe I'll be painting my office a different color. There you go. Yeah. But regardless, I'm very determined to get this thing wrapped up in the next couple of weeks. So um, okay. I'm probably going to do a little bit of documenting. So hopefully we'll have some photographs of um, what my office looks like now, which does have a Lego table in it, by the way. Yes. That's fair. Because I like to play. See, mm-hmm. You don't have kids. We'll point that out. That's the be- <laughs> best part about being an adult and owning a home. You can eat dessert before dinner and still play at your Lego That's table. That's right. So, yeah. so doing, removing paint from trim sucks. Uh, it does if the people that lived there before did it properly, but they didn't. So it's actually right. coming off quite oh, well okay. with a five and Fair one, f- about five coats of paint at a time is coming off. That's that's pretty good. I was say, I've removed paint from trim before and it's like it's almost worth buying one of those brush surfacers just to sand it down right it, just in the amount of time it would save yeah but yeah i actually considered redoing all the trim in my office at one yeah. point and then i realized then i'd probably have to redo my walls because the plaster would come right yeah, off probably. of the trim <laughs> <laughs> so all right well my project is i'm finally launching into my nightstand for my daughter I believe so, it when I see it, Phil. Yeah. It's <laughs> going to be made out of basswood, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, so, and I've been also talking to her about trying to figure out some decorative work on it. So I think I'm going to do like a carved uh, quatrefoil design that I found. Uh, I remembered seeing something from an old fine home building magazine mm. where there was this guy who builds gates out in San Francisco. Like cast iron gates or? No, wood gates. Wood gates, okay. And uh, his company kind of specializes in these fun carvings. And I thought that would be kind of a fun design that would go well with that, with the style that I'm making and just add a good decorative element Mm -hmm. to it. And I've been adding more carving stuff or at least textured surfaces to some of my projects. So... We'll see how it goes. Is your daughter going to do the carving? She's done some. She has done some carving. I don't know. I'll maybe have to ask, see if she's interested in it. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that'd be fun. Or at least a collaboration that I can do a few and then she'll do a few. Yeah. Is it just going to, is it one nightstand or two? Just one. Just one. For right now. So it kind of goes to, um, I don't think I did it on the podcast. I think it had it as a Facebook post about, you know, as a woodworking parent, Mm -hmm. as my kids grow up, and I'm a little farther along the road than you are, Logan. Mm-hmm. But like, what would be like an essential kit of furniture that I would feel like I've done my duty as a woodworking dad? Oh, sure. To send my kids out into the world with these, you know, like say three to five projects. Right. So. Family heirlooms, or potentially, or yeah, more, more. Not so necessarily, just... just something that would be super practical or useful, because I could see this nightstand. You know, like the difference between a nightstand and an end table is really just a name. Sure. You know? Yeah. So it's a nightstand right now and in a first apartment could be an end table. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just something that I've been thinking about. I'm interested to see how this basswood works out. Yeah. Because Me it's, too. it's a, I think it's an underutilized wood. I actually found, I have a fine woodworking, um, article or magazine sitting it's like sitting next to my couch for some random reason okay but i always grab it and flip through it and it's from like 2006 mm-hmm. um but it talked about underutilized woods and basswood's one of those yeah it's pretty yeah. inexpensive yeah 
and and it works nice. Right. Yeah, it's great for for carving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's I think that's it gets a rap for being only a carving wood, but yeah, but I, it, it's not though. No, it's got a really nice. I mean, people say that there's not much of a grain pattern in it, and it, there's not. But it also has. I I like the color yeah. of it. It's not straight up white. It's a pale cream cream color maybe yeah. you know without being heavily yellow right um but it works really beautifully in all kinds of tooling so being what are you gonna now you haven't got to the stage yet obviously but have you thought about what finish you're putting on it it's probably going to be either the spray lacquer that we have here sure or a water-based finish okay. because i really want to preserve the the paleness of the color without it going super amber. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I want to really stay away from the oils. And yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, the lacquer adds a little color, yeah. but not like a oil finish. Right. Not like a polyurethane or something like that. So I do want to do some testing on it to see sure. which one is going to give me the better, better colors on it. So anyway, you have to cool. keep it. Stay tuned. All right. Well, that about does it for today's episode of the shop notes podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating if you think it's appropriate. It helps the podcast get out to more and more woodworkers just like you. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks that you'd like to direct at us or towards us that we can address in future episodes, uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and on our website. Otherwise, we'll, ne we'll see you again next time on the Shop Notes Podcast. Thanks, everybody. This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a 1,000 plans covering everything that you'd want to build, from furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.